And let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come now to your word. We pray that you would uh, give us a great sense of privilege to have the very word of God in our hands to be read, listened to, that it might even dwell within us. We thank you that you have promised in the lives of your people to write your law upon their hearts and minds. We pray that you would do that in this way, even this morning, that you would confirm all that is here. So please, Father, teach us, we pray, that we might follow after Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 23, please turn there. I want to read beginning with verse 9 and take us through verse 40. Long reading, but uh, helpful. Um, Jeremiah chapter 23, please. Verse 9. This is a a, um, word from God concerning uh, prophets, most especially false prophets. Hear the word of God. This is Jeremiah speaking. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers because of the curse. The land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course, that is the course of these false prophets, their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness in which They shall be driven and fall, for I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning his prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I've dreamed, I've dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own hearts, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, and they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What is straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declare the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. When one of this people or a prophet or a priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? 
You shall say to them, You are the burden, and I will cast you off, declares the Lord. And as for the prophet, priest, or the one of the people who says, The burden of the Lord, I will punish that man in his household. Thus shall you say, Everyone to his neighbor, everyone to his brother, What has the Lord answered, or what has the Lord spoken? For the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more. For the burden is every man's word. And you pervert the words of the living God. The Lord of hosts our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet. What has the Lord answered you? Or what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Because you have said these words. The burden of the Lord. When I send to, sent to you saying. You shall not say the burden of the Lord. Therefore behold I will. Surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city that I gave you and your fathers, and I will bring you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. I want to take up a subject this morning that's pervasive in this book of Jeremiah, pervasive really through the history of history, through the history of the church, and that is this subject of false prophets, false teachers, false false apostles. It's uh, pervasive here in Jeremiah, just as we read of these ones who claim to speak on behalf of God, but, but really do not. You see, the prophet in Old Testament Israel, Old Testament Judah, was one who was to speak on behalf of God. He was speak, to speak the very truth of God. It was not so much, as we think of prophets often, not so much in predicting the future, but telling forth, speaking that which is true of God. Now, it included some in the context of, of telling the future because as they would come, they would say, this is what's going to happen because of what you've done. This is what's going to happen because of your life. Because the prophets would come and, and take God's covenant, his promises that he had made for, with his people of, of blessings to those who are faithful and repentant and, and curses to those who disobey and rebel against him. The prophets were to come and to speak concerning that covenant to the people of God. They were very much like God's covenants prosecutors. They would come and say, this is what God has promised. This is how you're living. Thus, this is the judgment. This is what is to come. Now, in the midst of that, always, there were, there were, there were words of restoration. There were words of hope because God had made in his covenant promises that he would be their God, that they would be his people. And so, so while on the one hand they were coming to bring the judgment of God to the people and, and pronounce that judgment too, they also brought words of restoration and hope as well. Jeremiah comes in that tradition. Jeremiah comes as, as a prophet like that, as one who comes to say that, indeed, I've brought... The burden of the Lord. You, you might have heard that expression as I was reading, redundantly expressed over and over and over again. It's because God is, is playing with that expression. Because you see, the burden of the Lord was an expression that prophets used, that they had the burden of the Lord. That is, they had this burden, this thing that they were to lift from God to the people and they were to bring it to the people the burden that was on their own hearts and lives the burden of the Lord and so a prophet would come and say I have the burden of the Lord but the false prophets were using that expression as well they said well we have the burden of the Lord and so rather sarcastically God says well what shall we say when these false prophets says what is the burden of the Lord we shall say to them you are the burden of the Lord it's you. You're the ones that are to be cast out. I have this burden and I'm to cast you out because of your false word. Jeremiah was one who came. The other true prophets were those who came with this true burden of the Lord. They were the ones to come and speak that which is and was indeed true. Now, when we think about the church today, we don't have prophets like this in the same sense in which they existed in the old covenant because these prophets true prophets were to come and speak God's word infallibly to speak it inerrantly uh, if any followed in their traditions it was the early apostles who came and wrote the word of God and they, they spoke wrote infallibly and in, 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 inerrantly that is they spoke that where they wrote that which was true they, they wrote what, that which is without error that God superintended all of that so that what we have in the scripture is the, very, is the very word of God. This is true. We trust it. We know that it's God-breathed, as the scripture tells us. 
But not only that, you see, we, we find there's no one like that today. If someone comes to speak on behalf of God, it's always to be evaluated by the scripture. It's always to be evaluated by elders in the church. It's always to be evaluated. We don't, we don't simply take it as the very word of God, though someone may speak on his behalf. But in our day, there are those who are called to speak on behalf of God, evangelists and pastors and teachers and others, and they're to be evaluated so that the message they bring is not that which is false. Little expression, talk is cheap. You know what that means. It means that it's easier to say it than to do it. But when it comes to speaking on behalf of God, talk is not cheap. It has dire consequences. Because if the talk that is about God is false, then it leads people under his wrath. If the talk of God is true, it can lead them to reconciliation with him. And so it's very important that we understand this talk that is about God, then we evaluate it so that we see that it is, whether it is from God or whether it isn't from God in the days of Jeremiah there were those who spoke from God Jeremiah there were those who didn't and it was very important to know the difference because if you followed the false prophets which the people did then they it led them to lives of wickedness and evil and it led them to be under the very wrath the very judgment of God if they had followed that which Jeremiah had said it would have led them to repentance but it's important for us to know that not only will false prophets be punished and judged by God, but also those who follow them. In fact, Jeremiah was interceding for the people with this very thought in mind, thinking, but, but, but God, uh, the prophets are false. But notice how this goes, Jeremiah chapter 14 and verse 13. Jeremiah says, Then I said, Oh Lord, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine but I will give you assured peace in this place. That, that was this, the message of the, the false prophets was, 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 don't worry, people, all is well, you see. And, and so Jeremiah is saying to God, but God, God, how can you judge the people when, when this is what their prophets are telling them? So he's interceding for them. He's saying, really, God, it isn't their fault. It, it's the fault of the prophets. It's the fault of the ones who are coming, saying they're speaking on behalf of God, and they're really not. Verse, six, verse 14. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I didn't send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They're prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. And so he says, coming exactly from them. This is exactly what we read in chapter 23. Therefore, now you get the sense that maybe if Jeremiah's intercession had been correct, he'd say, therefore, the people are off the hook. But he doesn't say that. Notice what he says. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I didn't send them, and who say, Sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine these prophets shall be consumed. Go, okay, that's fair. Verse 16. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters. For I will pour out their evil upon them. We're responsible not only for unbelief, but for misbelief. Right? We're responsible not only for not believing that which is true, but we're also responsible for believing that which is false, even when it's presented to us as those who claim to be true prophets of God. And so that should give us cold chills. That should cause us to think the most important thing I must do, the most important thing I must know is what is true from God. Now it can be really discouraging, I suppose, to think that there are those in the church throughout the age of the church, throughout the history of the church, throughout the old covenant and new, who are false teachers and false prophets. And the Bible is, is, is clear about that. Jesus speaks of them in Matthew chapter 7. He Sermon on the Mount, he says, Beware of false prophets. Beware of those who come to say they're speaking in the name of God, but they aren't. When Paul meets with the church in Ephesus, the elders of the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he says to, to, to these elders to watch the church because there are wolves in sheep's clothing who are coming to devour, in essence, the sheep the flock of God, the ones for whom Christ has died. 
And so his final word, Paul's final word to these elders in this church in Ephesus was, be very careful. Watch your lives. Watch your teaching. Watch the church. Watch the people. Watch those who have authority in the midst of the church to make certain that they're teaching that which is true because there are, there are wolves, that is, the ones who actually devour, and they're coming in sheep's clothing. And so, take care. The Apostle Paul spoke of these very same ones. He spoke of them as, as super apostles in, in, in sarcastic language. But he referred to them as, as, as angels of light who are deceivers. They, they come across as angels of light, as Satan did, and yet they're not. They are, they are deceivers. Peter speaks of these very ones as well. For instance, in, in 2 Peter in chapter 2, Peter writes... But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. They said said, the most destructive heresy of all is going right to the heart of the atoning work of Christ when he buys his people. So it's going to the very heart of that. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed and their greed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago isn't idle and their destruction is not asleep. The Apostle John speaks of these very ones as well in 1 John in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour. So if it was the last hour then... It's the last minutes now, I suppose, at best. It is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. It is. Not just the Antichrist, as he's become popularized in these days, but Antichrist is coming. So that now, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And so he speaks, John does, of, of Antichrist, the spirit of, an, of Antichrist, that, that being against Jesus. Not just against him to say that Jesus is wrong, but who comes to, to give us an alternative to Jesus, to place someone, something over and above Jesus. Say, trust in this, and this is better. Trust in this, and this will be the salvation of your very souls. And so we see that this is always happening in the midst of us was happening in the days of Jeremiah, leading the people astray. It was happening in the days of Jesus. It would happen on and on throughout the history of the church. It's happening today. We need to beware. It's discouraging, I, I know, to think that this could be a possibility. How, how, do, how do we even... Make these evaluations. How do, how do we think this through? You know, you, you, you want to trust people who come to speak in the name of God. You want to trust them as, as experts like you trust your doctors. But, but we know that doctors can have misdiagnoses, yet we still seek them out and we still evaluate and we still are diligent in all of that. Financial advisors can be helpful, but, but we know they can make mistakes too. We need to be diligent about, about them. Our mechanics, we trust them with our cars, but they can make mistakes. Uh, and, and yet we still seek them out to help us. We're not so discouraged that we cease seeking them. But remember, the worst that can happen with your doctor is that you can die. The worst that can happen with your financial advisor is that you can go bankrupt. The worst that can happen with your mechanic is that, you know, all the things that can happen with that. But with the false prophets, your soul can be lost. And so it's important for us, you see, in our own lives... For the sake of our children, for the sake of those we love, to be diligent about these, about these things. The great danger for us is that we're prone to believe the message of a false prophet. We're prone to believe the message of a false prophet. Because you see, false prophets uh, have a great advantage. 
our sinful hearts. Though even redeemed by the Lord Jesus, we have to be cautious in this because there's still this tendency in us to follow Follow after them. In the days of Jeremiah, these unregenerate people, no doubt, we read in chapter 5 and verse 30, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the, and the priests uh, rule at their discretion. My people love to have it so. In other words, they love the message of the false prophet. What was the message of the false prophet in the days of Jeremiah? Peace. Even though there was no peace. Even though the people were rebelling against God. And even though the people were were under the very judgment of God. False prophets came to say all is well. There is peace really. Don't, Don't worry. Even in this passage in Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 17 that I read. Of the false prophets the Lord says. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord. It shall be well with you. Who doesn't like to hear that? Who doesn't like to hear this great message of self-esteem and building yourself up and having a good self-image and knowing that you're valuable and all that? Who doesn't like to hear those words of affirmation? Doing really well. Those are good words to say, I suppose, in certain contexts. And to everyone who follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Notice how that was prefaced. Those who, 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 who follow their own hearts. See, that's the great danger for us. We have this, this tendency as human beings to, to want to think that God is like us, to make him in our own image, that he likes what we like, so that then we can follow our own hearts. Because if God is like us, then what is the real dictate of our lives other than our own hearts? And so, well, sure, if God's like us, then I'll follow me. And I'll follow my own passions. And I'll I'll define my life by my passions. Whatever it is that I want. Whatever it is that I desire. That must be right. Because how can God make something that's wrong? And so I'll follow all of that. And I'll define my own life. And I'll direct my own life. Because God is like me. And I want people to tell me. Yes, that's the way that it is. So Jeremiah cautioned. In this solemn but well-known verse, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Must be very cautious. In fact, Jesus lays it out like this, the advantage to false prophets in a sense in Matthew. In chapter 7, verse 13, he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And Jesus said, okay, here's, you know, we, can, we can lay life out like this, uh, as, as, as two gates, two ways, two ends. There's a wide gate that leads to a wide road. And you get the impression, just from that metaphor, oh, that's easy. Right? The way is easy. It's wide. You can just, there's just a huge path along which, along which to, to, to walk with very few restrictions of any, no curbs, no boundaries. We're just sort of walking on this, this wide way. It's very easy. And spiritually speaking, you get the sense of what Jesus is getting at is on this way, there's a wide range of opinions. In fact, you can even you can hold back from it. You can be distant from it in the midst of this particular wide way, way and not make a commitment to any one of them. It's so wide, you, you have a variety of things that you can believe and hold to as you go. And, and lifestyles with great, great, great tolerance of anything that could be lived upon this road. It's, it's wide. You can be on this side and not even know there are people on that side. It's that wide as you go. And it's, it's a wide gate. Just enter in leads to destruction so it's not always easy he says now there's a narrow gate narrow in the sense that not everything goes in this way it's it's narrow there are restrictions and the restriction is that God is king the restriction is that everything must come under his sovereign authority his sovereign rule and everything else besides that must die this is what Jesus is referring to when he said, if, if you want to follow after me, you must deny yourself. 
And he didn't say you must deny things to yourself. You take off this, take off that, take off this. He says, no, deny yourself to yourself. <laughs> deny who you are. Deny your own passions. Deny your own desires. Deny your own thoughts. Submit all of that to God. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. That was an image that said something must die. You know, crosses in the days of Jesus weren't decorative. They never put them on earrings or windows or anywhere else. They were, they were instruments of, of death. Much like an electric chair or a hangman's noose or a rifle and a firing squad. That, that's what they were. No, you saw a cross. You said, somebody's going to die. Somebody's being executed. He says, well, yes, you are. If you're going to take the narrow way, what I want you to do is deny yourself and submit to God. What I want you to do is kill all that isn't true of God in you and submit to God and walk with Him in that life. Of course, this isn't the only image that God used, that Jesus used, of, of, of life with Him. On another occasion, He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Uh, for I am gentle and humble of heart. My, my yoke is, is easy. He had a different point to make there. He's saying, if you want to be, if you want to really live a, a life that's the way life is to be lived, yoke with me, join with me. I'll walk with you. I'll lead you. But in this passage in Matthew seven, it's a warning passage. He's saying, now be, be careful. You're prone to go to that which reinforces all your own sinful passions. You're prone to move in that direction. I want to, that's that's the easy way for you. That's the wide way for you. I want you to go in this other way. This is the way that really leads to life. It feels counterintuitive, but it's really the way of life. And so Jesus lays this out. But we must be cautious and careful because we love when people reinforce are thin. And we don't like it when they come against us. So Jesus lays all of, all of that out. Now in this passage of Jeremiah, the question for us is, how would anyone know the difference between a true prophet and a, and a, false, and a false prophet? Well, there's a couple of things that, that sort of strike out at us initially, and that is, that is we realize the origin, the source of the true prophet is God. We remember how it is that God had called Jeremiah, but then God says of these people, I didn't call them at all. Uh, uh, they're, not really, they're not really mine. Verse 21, he says, I didn't send the prophets, yet they ran, I didn't speak to them, yet they prophesied. They didn't stand in my counsel, because if they had stood in my counsel, they would be saying something very different than, than what, in fact, uh, they're saying their origin really is, is not with me. They're not sent by God. They claim to have dreams that come from God, but they really don't have dreams that come from God. They're not really speaking the very, the very truth of God. That's their source. Their motives are quite different than Jeremiah's. Jeremiah's motive was that God would be glorified. Jeremiah's motive was that <clears throat> this very burden of the Lord that he had would be would be delivered to the people and that they would repent. The prophet Micah lays out motives of false prophets. For instance, he says this in Micah chapter 3, verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people, asp- lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. In other words, these false prophets do it for their own gain. They're willing to say peace as long as you're paying them. As long as they're well fed, as long as everything's great. But if you're against them, then they'll come against you. So it's all in terms of their own gain. That's their motive. And he says in chapter 2 and verse 11, If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. In other words, he comes to them and he says, Listen, uh, I'm going to, to tell you what you want to hear. So that you'll like me, so that you'll accept me, so that uh, I'll have your favor. False prophets prophesy for their own gain. They prophesy to be accepted by the people. Jeremiah wasn't like that. Obviously, they threatened to kill him on many different occasions. He would rather have not spoken. In fact, on one occasion he said, you know, I'm just not going to mention God. I'm not going to mention you at all anymore. And then he realized that his heart burned within him and he couldn't not speak this truth. The burden of the Lord was within him. So their motives 
very, very different. Their lives different. True prophets live and speak that which is consistent with the truth of God. For instance, in Deuteronomy in chapter 13, uh, Moses speaks of true and false prophets like this. Verse 1, he says, If a prophet or a dreamer dreams, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and that sign or wonder in, uh, that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. In other words, Moses is setting up a very difficult scenario. Because in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy he says, Listen, you can tell a false from a true prophet in that if, a, if you have a false prophet, his prophecies won't come true. Now, that's a little difficult because it's after the fact. It might take a while to see how all that's going to work out. In the days of Jeremiah, we know that he was a true prophet because destruction did come upon Jerusalem. But it took a while for all that to unfold. How would they know in the beginning? Well, Jeremiah gave a little few hints along the way. For instance, on one occasion, there was a false prophet named Hananiah. And Jeremiah said, you'll be dead in two, in, within the year. He died in two months. Somebody should have said, my money's on Jeremiah. Right? All these little hints along the way. But now, Moses sets up a scenario where there's a prophet who comes, and it comes true. Now what do we do? Do we just, at face value, say, well, he must be a true prophet? And Moses answers, no, 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 no. Now you have to test and ask the source of that. You have to ask, where is this prophet leading us? Is he leading us to God or away from God? And he says, if that prophet then says, let's move over and let's not follow after the things that God has told us. Let's not follow after the things that are consistent with God has already said. Let us not follow those things which are consistent with, with God's character and his promises to us. Let's follow another God. Then, no matter what happens, he's false. Because you see, this has come as a test. This has come to see what's really in your heart. If you would follow after him, it would show that your heart really isn't after God. But if you deny that and deny him and Stay true to God, then it shows your heart there. For you see, prophets are to come and speak in the name of God. They're to come and speak that which is consistent with what God has always revealed, His very covenant. So Jeremiah comes on the scene and he, and, he, and he speaks that which is consistent with what God had said in His covenant. He had told the people straight up. He said, listen, if you're faithful to me and you live a life of repentance and you live a life of real sacrifice, honestly, and you live a life in such a way that, 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 that's pleasing to me, that's honoring to me, that, then you'll be blessed. If you don't, if you rebel against me, you'll be cursed. And so Jeremiah comes upon the scene and he sees people who are living in rebellion against God. And so he speaks that truth and he says, you're cursed. And the curse is that these enemies will come and destroy you. The false prophet said, nah, all is well. So they spoke that which is contrary to what God had revealed. Jeremiah spoke that which was consistent with what God had revealed. The people should have known that. They had the word of God. It was found in the days of Josiah, in the days that Jeremiah was prophesying. They should have simply gone back to the covenant of Moses, the covenant of God with his people and said, no, Jeremiah is speaking the truth. He's speaking the very word of God. They were to, to, to speak true prophets were. That which was consistent with what God had always said. That God would be God and we would be His people. In yesterday's paper, there was an interesting falsely prophetic word. It's a, an institute providing for goals of the church and sexuality for the next decade. You should, you should read this. It will be helpful to you to open eyes to see that, that here are people who are speaking in the name of God for the church... And redefining sexuality according to a human definition of justice. As opposed to a biblical definition of righteousness. It's simply not true. To follow it would be to follow that which is false. You see. 
Because it's not consistent with everything else that God has revealed. And so as these new messages come, as these new things come, as we're to, to move in a different direction than the church has moved, we need to evaluate that according to what God has already spoken and always spoken. Is this really true compared to His Word? Is their message true compared to the message that God has always brought to us? Prophets brought no real new information but simply an understanding of and an execution of and an application of that which God had spoken in His covenant promises. And thus is true today. That no one who stands to speak in the name of God comes up with something new. No one comes in a new theology. Nobody comes anything that hasn't been spoken by God before that can't be tested, that can't be sought out. You remember the church in Berea was a great church, the scripture says in the book of Acts, because they, they tested everything according to the word of God. They wanted to make sure that everything the apostles were telling them were true, and these were apostles, but they still went back to the word of God and said, yes, I can see that, I can follow that. And they went through the Old Testament, no doubt, and found that which was true about Jesus. And yes, this is right. This is what God has always said. You're a true apostle. You're a true prophet of God. I can follow after you. If it wasn't there, then to reject it and say, no, that's false. There needs to be a consistency of life as well. Not only message, but life. Uh, these prophets in the days of Jeremiah uh, were liars and adulterers. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So be careful. So you want to ask the question, well, how can we know if they're true or false? Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus changes the metaphor from animals. So you might not be able to tell by their dress. They might look like you, they might sound like you, they might smell like you, and all of that. But, so let me give you an illustration using fruit trees. They always give themselves away. When the fruit comes, you know what kind of tree it is. No matter what it may have looked like, when the fruit comes, you know what kind of tree it was. And so he says, watch their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. It doesn't mean that prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists are perfect. In their lives they sin. The question is, what did they do when they sinned? Did they repent or not? Or did they keep leading astray? Did they keep going in a particular direction and saying, no, what my sin was is okay for me and okay for you how are they leading where are they leading in the midst of their their lives but he says watch their fruit these ones who are to speak on God's behalf are to live in such a way that is consistent with all that God has revealed about how we're to live watch them and finally this and perhaps the saddest we can see the fruit of the false prophet is in the lives of the people. They, as these prophets, become adulterers and liars. Uh, it says of these false prophets in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 14, But the prophets in Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. In other words, they continue to reinforce the wickedness that's there, the evil that's there, the sin that's there, that nobody ever turns away from it, that you have a whole community of people living in obvious sin. He says that's the great danger of all of this. That the people believe the word of the false prophet. People false, follow the word of the false prophet. And it leads them into more evil. It doesn't strengthen them against it. But rather it leads them into it. In contrast, you remember Paul as he wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, you are my letter. When people see you, then they'll understand the work of Paul, this apostle. And say, yes, that's from God. I see it in the lives of these of these people dangerous times now I suppose <clears throat> I should conclude this sermon by giving you a list of all the false prophets 
in our day. Um, However tempting that might be, I'm not going to do that. It would lead, I'm afraid, to some unhealthy smugness and sin on my part, probably. And since I don't know everybody and everything about everybody, it may cause me to inadvertently slander someone. Or if I leave someone out that you think ought to be on the list, might confuse you. So I'm not going to give that that list. I suppose I could give a list of the mainline denominations that over the course of the last hundred years have failed, have reverted, have become apostate, moved from that which is historic, biblical Christianity. I I could do that, I suppose. I'm not going to. I would be afraid that I would inadvertently indict some Christians and some churches in those denominations that are still upholding that which is true. I suppose I could go down a list of essentials and non-essentials of the Christian faith. Things we must believe, must hold to if we're really going to be true. And, and you can certainly do that. We have a, 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 a little publication we have called The Essentials of the Faith. You can get it on our website or wherever where we list various essentials of the faith. I would urge you to read that, to know these because they're true that... We believe the word, the Bible to be the word of God. We believe God to be triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, divine, each person, one to whom is all honor and glory to be given. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his word, born of a virgin, the incarnate, very Son of God, holy, divine, holy, human. Uh, this one who died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, rose again from the dead, now sits and rules and reigns. We believe in the Holy Spirit, divine Holy Spirit, who's come to glorify Christ and apply this work of Christ to us, to empower us, to instruct us, to transform us, all of that. We believe in our own sinfulness. We believe that we're estranged from God as human beings and we're completely dependent upon free, God's free grace for our, our salvation, that only those who are born again of the Spirit can express real faith in Christ and follow after. Him, We believe in the work of the church that God has established through our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the coming of Jesus, visibly, bodily, personally, to judge the living and the dead at a point in history of only, that only God knows. And we believe in the mission which he's given to us. All of that, true, those are essentials, those are things to which we must hold. But let me end like this. Let me end by saying first that for us... To avoid these false prophets, we must do what Jude told us to do, which is to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Contend for it. It must be our passion to contend to the faith that was once delivered to the the faithful, once and for all, that which is true as it comes to us in the scripture. Thus, we must take great care to guard the vehicle by which it comes, which is the very scripture, the very word of God. We must be careful that we don't in any way ever believe anyone, anything that degrades the Bible is the very word of God. Oh, we might disagree here and there about its jots and tittles and so forth and so on, but we never disagree with the fact that it is the word of God and that we're to sit under it. A great heresy of this last century was to simply say that the Bible contains the Word of God, and that it does. But if we simply say that the Bible contains the Word of God, then we're looking for it all the time. We're saying it contains the Word of God. Where is it? Is it in this passage or is it in this passage? Oh, perhaps it's not this, but perhaps it's that. Now, we don't say that the Bible contains the Word of God. We say it is the Word of God. We don't look for it. It looks for us. It reveals God to us. It reveals us to us. And so we sit under it. It is our authority, not us. It's authority, you see. And so anything that would ever degrade that, anything that would ever move us to say, well, I, I don't know, that might have been true then, but it's not true now, we must be very, very cautious. And then, of course, we listen to its revelation of God. He's not created in our image. He's not like us in that sense. He's pure. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's just. He's gracious. We must realize that we are created in His image. We are to glorify Him. And we must come to grips with the fact that we haven't. And that's sin. That 
deserves, because God is holy, that deserves hell. That's true for us. We're under the very wrath of God. And our only hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. He's the gospel. He's the good news. The gospel is something that has happened. That's why it's good news. See, we mustn't ever fall into the, the, the great danger of legalism and moralism to think we're accepted by God by something that we have done. We're accepted by God for something Jesus had done. Now, I understand the big craze. I'm not into crazes, as you know. I'm not into trends. I'm not into most things. <laughs> The older I get, I'm into less. I know you probably have somewhere a little bracelet that has little initials on that stand for what would Jesus do. Let me encourage you. The real bracelet to wear is the one that would stand for what did Jesus do? What did he do? Not what would he do? So that when I can go out and do it, the very truth of the matter is, when I know what Jesus did, I fail all the time. I need help. The great news, the gospel, isn't what we do. The gospel is what he did. That's the good news. Gospel means good news. It isn't good news telling me, Bill, go out and you can live a better life. I've given that a shot pretty much every day. The good news is, Bill, you should live to glorify God. And you don't. But someone has. Someone has for you. That's good news. Bill, because of your sin, to uphold the righteousness of God, to uphold the justice of God... What is just punishment for you is for you to live your whole life in eternal punishment. That would be fair. That's not good news. What's good news is that someone did that. Someone took that so that I may live. That's good news. And so we mustn't ever miss that. It always worries me when I hear someone say, yeah, I believe in the gospel, I believe in the atoning work of Christ, but. And and after the but, it's usually, but we need to live good lives, we need to have a loving community, and we need to be about mission, we need to be about that. And and all that's true, but, 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 but it seems to me that we could never miss the mountain for its tip. We must always keep the gospel as the foundation the guts of it from which everything flows. And because of our tendency to be legalists and moralists and all of that, we need to come back to this gospel every day. As our dear friend says, to preach it to ourselves every day. And what's that gospel? It's what Jesus did. So that I may live. The night which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, our Lord Jesus took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death. Until he comes, what are we remembering? What are we declaring? That's it. The gospel is that which is declared and believed, declared and remembered. It's something first declared. It isn't something first lived by us. It's first something first declared to us that God has conquered sin and death through Jesus. And, and, and that's what we're to believe. That's the gospel. That's the guts of it. Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus lived righteously for us. We must never forget that. That informs everything. It informs our behavior because our behavior then becomes out of love for him because we realize... It isn't something I have to do. It's something that I want to do. To follow after him because I love him. Because he's been gracious to us. The gospel. True teachers. Apostles. Pastors. Evangelists. Prophets. Speak of a holy God. Who is righteous and just. 
a humanity created in his image to glorify him who hasn't, who deserve his wrath. But Jesus has done it. That all who believe in him might live. We must guard that. Let's pray. Father in heaven. I pray, Father, for me, for us. That that gospel will always be the very foundation of our lives, the very foundation of our church. That we would never please stray from it, enable us to contend for it, to be faithful to it. It never would any contrary word be spoken from our pulpit, from our Sunday school classes and our Bible studies between one to another as we go out into our community to speak this truth. Or rather, it would be central to us. Father, I pray that you would use this table this morning as a reminder of that, as a declaration to us of it, of the work of Christ. I pray you would take this bread and this juice, set it apart in such a way that we would follow after the one who is the true prophet, Jesus, the one who came and truly revealed God to us, who truly revealed ourselves to us, who truly revealed God's plan to us. In fact, he even told us what he was going to do, that he would die and rise. He died and rose. His life was perfect. He meets every criteria of prophet. We can trust him the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, I pray you would seal to us all that is true in us because of him. That our faith would be strengthened. And that we would walk in him. This, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind-